Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is June 26th, 2019. Almost halfway through with this year already. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 46. There's no better way to start a message than jumping right into the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 46. So get out your notebooks, get ready. It says this. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Just 10 days ago, we had a sermon entitled Zero Faith, in which we addressed the faith that allows your finances and any idolatry associated with false security to be taken down to zero. On this past Sunday, we had this sermon entitled No Reserve, where we identified the secret areas, those things hidden in our heart, our soul, and our strength that we have held in reserve for ourselves. And we learned how to offer them to the Lord through real, practical, and faith-filled actions. Is that true? Tonight, I'd like to begin to talk to you about a a spirit of competition. We live in a competition-based society. We're accustomed to competing in the arena of ideas, competing in the dog-eat-dog world of business and finances, competing on the athletic fields, those same athletic fields that have birthed many an idol in people's hearts, competing on the stages and the arenas that showcase our talents. And we surely all know what it is to be competing with the Joneses. Let's talk about athletics for just a moment. While it's not as prevalent here in the culture of LCM, to idolize those people who play on a field or on a court, we are nonetheless susceptible to the effects of athletics in our society. In athletics, there are certain moves that are barred, that are off limits, that are inappropriate for you to do. In football, it's illegal to chop block. Yeah, Matthew P. Rowe. Actually, I'm not sure about as much about the chop block or the next one. You're not allowed to spear. That was Eric, okay. You can't violate a fair catch signal. You can't rough the passer. You can't hit after the whistle. As a matter of fact, soon in football, you won't even be able to hurt someone's feelings. So I guess that's okay. In MMA, in mixed martial arts, you're not allowed to eye gouge. Have a hit to the groin. Fish hook someone. Hit to the back of the head or a 12 to 6 kind of elbow on somebody. In collegiate and Olympic wrestling, barred moves include the full Nelson, the figure four, the ankle lock, a closed fist, or a cup hand to the ear. As a matter of fact, my brother was a wrestling coach, and he told me of a story of the fastest pin in the history of the Olympics. It was in the super heavyweight division. These men are over 260 pounds that are competing against each other. At, upon the, the uh, referee's beginning of the, of the match, one man reached up to the other, double slapped, slapped both of his ears. The man lost his balance because of what happened, and the bigger guy fell on him and pinned him in four seconds at the Olympics. Yeah. Needless to say, they uh, now wear ear protection and have banned that particular move. See, these sports create in the mind of people the subtle assumption that there are limits to your warfare. Much of our series and our whole sermon tonight is dedicated to eliminating these self-imposed and deceitful limits. 
Come on, it's time for us to eliminate some limits in this place. The title of tonight's message is No Holds Barred. I'm talking about a zero faith, no reserve, no holds barred kind of life that we're going to live because the word, in fact, is our life. Now, tonight we're not talking about a geriatric Chuck Norris needing a Texas-sized walker to roundhouse kick a paid actor for the entertainment of the elderly. We're not talking about Jean-Claude Van Damme and his effeminate French splits for the satiation of the sad saints who simply need to be entertained for a little while. We're not talking about Bruce Lee entering while the whore is riding on the dragon with his with his nunchucks at the ping-pong table, pandering to the pathetic populace with this prolific pantomime of what an actual battle should be. We are talking about an all-out warfare, an actual life-and-death struggle, like our grandfathers at the beaches of Normandy, like the warriors of Sparta at the hot gates of Thermopylae, like the countless men in the trenches at the Battle of the Bulge, or the legionnaires in the conflict with Carthage. See, what we are engaged in is not some trivial thing where you're after points. We're expecting a referee to step in and help you if it gets too dangerous. We're actually in a life and death struggle every single day. See, just because we forget about that doesn't mean that you're not actually on the battlefield. It's time for us to eliminate the limits that come from not living a no-holds-barred kind of life. In the conflicts we're describing, there aren't points for effort. There are no trophies for participation, no seventh-place achievement awards. There are only those who live or die. Those that became food for worms are those who went home to put food on their own tables. There are only those that watch their children be buried as a result of a conflict are those that come home to watch their children after the conflict. See, we think that war in the natural, anyone who has a reasonable intelligence will look at war and realize that it's a terrible thing. But then they go home and they forget that you and I are in a war. See, this word is piercing my heart right now. It's piercing it. Because we can all say this and we'll all say amen. And the truth is, is we walk out of here and you will not remember that you're in a battle if you're not careful. If you're not careful, you'll do just like you did today. And many of us may love the Lord with all of our hearts. But how many of of us today lived in a no holds barred kind of way? How many times were you reserved today? How many things that you just come up against that you're like, well, that's kind of just off limits. I I don't know that I can do that. The thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy you. 1 John 3, 8 tells us that the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy and put to death the devil's work. To view this conflict as any less serious than Jesus did will leave your family stolen from. Your walk with the Lord murdered. And your call destroyed. See, this is a Wednesday night. Usually on a Wednesday night, you want to come in and you want to try to encourage people. I am going to encourage you tonight. But we're going to encourage you the way that the Word of God tells us to do. And it's going to challenge us to our very core. It is going to move us down to the most molecular part of who we are. God is ready to do something. See, in the days that we're in right now, 
I believe that the days that we're in of LCM right now in 2019, I believe that in the years to come, you're going to look back at right now and go, man, 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 what was God doing there? When you're discouraged in the future, you know what you're going to be thinking about? You're going to be thinking about days like today. You're going to be thinking about how God was moving us to a zero faith. How God was moving us to build his name again and again. How God was moving us to have no reserve. How God was moving us to live in a no-holds-bar kind of way. You're going to remember this day. You're going to remember this time. And I want every man and woman not to be proclaiming someone else's story today. I don't want you to be living vicariously through someone else's actual faith that took hold. I want you to have the testimony of living a no-holds-bar kind of life. That's what we're pushing toward. Let's see what the Word of God has to say about this. Turn to Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33. We're going to look and start in verse 51. Numbers 33 and 51. And everyone in the room needs to be with us. It says this. It says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, you know what that means? That means it's go time. I don't know if you've ever felt the anticipation of entering a field of competition, the arena. I had the privilege of entering a large stadium in Baton Rouge, Louisiana on most weekends in the fall, representing one of the groups in the, in the, in the stadium. It's an amazing thing for you to be able to walk out in front of 90,000 people. That's a, that's a special kind of thing. This is, the, this is the moment for the children of Israel. This is a moment where they're walking out and they are crossing the Jordan into Canaan. It's go time. The battle is on. You're stepping onto the field. And let's find out what their instructions were. Look at verse 52. <coughs> it says this, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Somebody say drive out. Drive out. Does it say drive out some? It says, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images. Say, destroy all. all. And their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Somebody say, demolish all. all. Verse 53 says, take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Now, wait a minute. If he's given it to us, then why are you having to do all these other things? Because it is required when God gives you something that you begin by driving out all the inhabitants, that you destroy all the idols, that you demolish all the high places, and you actually take possession of it. Wow. We know this as a church, don't you? Don't we? We've been given many things, haven't you? You've been given many prophecies, but have you taken possession? Have you driven out the enemy? Have you destroyed all of their idols? Have you demolished all their high places? This is what we're going towards so that we might take possession of what God has given us. <laughs> We've got to take possession, not just placate the populace. We've got to take possession, not just appease the arrogant. We've got to take possession, not just satisfied those who are saturated in sin anyway. Look at verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, Anybody familiar, everybody familiar with an if-then statement, right? Here's what I want you to do. If you do this, then you can take possession. If you do not do this, then there is a consequence to you not doing what you've been instructed. My friends, 
there is a consequence for us not living in a no-holds-bar kind of way. And this passage of Scripture is going to show it to you. Take a look right here. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain. What are you allowing to remain in your life right now? Those you allow to remain will do what? They will become a few things. They will become barbs in your eyes. Boy, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Anybody want a fresh, hot barb to be given in your eyes? Fresh, hot barbs right here, ladies and gentlemen. No, thank you. Thorns in your sides. Trouble in the land where you live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. I have a slide that I want you to see. It encapsulates these verses that we have just read. On the left, you see what the Lord has instructed his people to do. He said, I want you to have a no-holds-bar kind of attitude. I don't want you to leave anything in reserve. You've got to drive them all out. You've got to destroy all of the idols. You've got to demolish all of the high places. You've got to take possession and settle in what I have given you. Well, those are pretty clear instructions, aren't they? There's no ambiguity in what the Lord is saying to his people. Can I encourage you? There's no ambiguity what the God is speaking to this church. There's absolutely no ambiguity. There's no way for you to misinterpret what he's saying. He is giving us clear instructions that all, in fact, means all. That every single person in here must be giving everything you have to the Lord. Whether it's finances, whether it's those things hidden in secret reserve, or whether you think there are things that are just off limits for you to try to get to. You've got to drive them all out. You've got to destroy them all. You've got to demolish them all. And then you've got to take possession. What happens when you don't, though? We want to show you the correlation here. When you don't drive out all the people, what happened to you? You have barbs that get in your eye. God, that's a painful, that's just painful sounding. When you don't destroy all, what happens? You have thorns in your side. When you don't demolish all, you will have trouble in your land. And this one is, I think, the one that pierces me the most. When you don't take full possession of it, What you were supposed to do to your enemy, your enemy will now do to you. What you don't do to the enemy, when you do not annihilate them, when you do not destroy them completely, what happens is they begin to do to you what you were supposed to do to them, which is completely get destroyed. Come on, isn't this true in our lives? Anybody ever not taking care of something at one place because you were worried about it? And then you realize it grew, it festered, it became a much more serious problem than later on it was dominating you? Anybody ever not taking care of your car? Well, Brenton, Benson, anybody? There should be some other amens. There should be a lot of other amens in here. Yet, changing the oil was a little bit too difficult, so what happens is you ruin an engine. See... See, the Lord is trying to teach us this not only in in spiritual things, which is what we're doing tonight. He's trying to show you in every area. You've not been taking care of yourself well, you get sick. You've not been doing what the Lord has put before you in a methodical way. You haven't been keeping up with reading your Bible on a regular basis. No wonder you've had the problems that you've had. Husbands, you're not pastoring your wives every single day. No wonder that grows into being a big problem that you have to take care of later. I wonder why we got in a fight. I know exactly why I got in a fight with my wife. You know why? Because I wasn't pastoring her well. And it blew up in my face. But I guess, I guess I'm the only one that, that me and being Pastor Eric's the only one. 
Ladies, when you don't rightly deal and drive out and destroy and demolish the fear that's going on in your heart, I mean, you don't just annihilate it. No, see, pastor, though, that's not really fear. This is just logic. No, see, pastor, no, it's just that you don't understand our particular situation. What happens when you don't deal with the fear? Does it go away on its own? Or does it get amplified time after time until you're a stinking basket case? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out, I was like, these are ladies. I don't, I don't think anybody will raise their hand at this point. Every limit on the battle results in your enemy doing to you what you should have done to him. Any reserve that you leave results in the enemy showing no reserve towards you. You think you need to be compassionate in an area? What if the Lord is telling you to utterly destroy it? Yeah, but, but God is love. God is a lot of things. He's also a jealous God. He also will tell you to drive out all of the inhabitants and destroy everything that they put their hand to. What is he telling you today that you've just decided? Well, since I guess the Lord is love, then I shouldn't really be very aggressive on this. Any reserve that you leave results in the enemy showing no reserve to you. Every enemy that you leave alive is an enemy that will kill you or your family. How do you like that? How do you like that thought? The things that you don't put to death right now, today, in your own thought process, in your own heart, the things that you don't take care of now, they're only going to grow and they're going to kill you later. Any compassion, every amount of restraint, any sympathy, every appeasement that you have towards sin is an invitation towards your aggressor to destroy your life. See, what I'm hoping to do tonight, and I'm praying that the Spirit of God will help me. See, these are words that we will all sit here and agree with. There's not anybody in our church that's going to disagree with me right here about this. You're going to go, yes, we can see. Yes, I can remember examples in my own life where I didn't take care of it. I didn't put the kibosh on it, and it came back and it hurt me or it hurt my family. But what you don't deal with today, what you don't destroy today will destroy you tomorrow. This conflict is a no-holds-bar for you and your wife and your children. See, we're raising up mighty, valiant men and women in this place. What we're doing tonight, what the Lord has been giving us sermon after sermon, what the Lord has been giving us prophecy after prophecy, what the Lord has been giving us altar time after altar time, is He is showing you the pathway. This is not a confusing, difficult thing. He's saying you got to drive out all the sin in your life. you got to get to every part of it. Well, I think I have. Go search for it again. Make sure that these things aren't hiding in your life. you got to destroy it all. Well, I've addressed it. No, go destroy it. That's different than knowing where it is. I've got to demolish it. Do you hear these words? Demolish. That doesn't take a pansy of a heart. That takes a real man or a real woman of God to demolish the strongholds. Oh. Almost like 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What are you supposed to do to your thoughts that are opposing God? You're supposed to demolish every pretension and every argument that exalts itself against the Lord. What do you need to demolish today? 
What do you need to destroy in your own thought process today? You don't have to turn here, but I want to reference Deuteronomy 7, 16, lest you think that Numbers 33 is the only place that this is said. You must destroy all the peoples. The Lord, the God gives, the Lord your God gives over to you. Do not look on them with pity. Do not serve their gods, for they will be a snare to you. They'll be a thorn to you. They'll be a barb to you. They will create trouble with you. And they will do to you what you should have done to them. Wow. Come on, church. We're family. I'm not up here to perform for you tonight. I have no tension of performing for you. I have a weightiness of trying to deliver the word of God for us, but I have no tension because I love you. What are you having pity upon in your own life that you need to demolish tonight? What are you requesting pity for in your own life? What weakness and enemy are you saying, this one kind of is close to my heart. I want to give someone pity or I want you to be give me pity. Pity is not what we're supposed to be giving. Those things that you become comfortable with, that even kind of become cute to you, and you give pity in your own life. The Lord says, do not have pity on them. Destroy the enemy. There's no sympathy for idols. Are you having sympathy for those things that are controlling others? Killing them? Separating people from God? When you have pity and sympathy, where God has instructed you to have a no-holds-bar attitude, you will be ensnared. No matter how sweet you think you're being, no matter how compassionate you are, you may turn and be more compassionate than God, and you will be ensnared. See, it is our mandate from heaven that we begin to feel what God feels about things, and He hates the sin. He hates this enemy, and He wants you to defeat it. I don't care if it's your pet sin. I don't care if it's something that's been with you for a long time. Well, don't you think it's about time that you kill this enemy? The Lord is going to help us and he's going to show us how to do this tonight. There's no illegal moves here. There's no referee that's going to stop in and give you a red card. You are in a war. It's you and the enemy in a trench. And only one of you is going to come out of life. You got to figure out who that's going to be. We are raising up a church of men and women who will come out of the trenches of sin and be the victorious church of the living God. That demands of us that we have a no-holds-bar attitude. <laughs> Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9. You're going to love this. I know Judah's going to love this, but you guys are going to love this. As I was studying and preparing for tonight... Jehu came to mind. Now there's some of you in the room that are immediately, you're already with me. And if you're like me, you might have had to read a little bit to remind yourself of who Jehu is. Look here. 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 6. Is everybody there? Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared. You ready for this declaration? This is pretty awesome. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. That's pretty awesome. You are engaging in 
a ceremony of coronation of the king of Israel. The anointing oil has been poured upon this man's head. This is an auspicious moment of authority that is being granted. This is his crossing of the Jordan, taking possession, entering the field, day one of salvation. This is the moment. And here come the marching orders. Look at verse 7. Now, out of all the things that you would think the Lord would tell a king, the very first sentence, the crown is placed upon his head, and this is the first sentence to Jehu. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. And I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. Ooh. Well, that's an interesting name. We should, we should know that. A Jezebel person. We even use that phrase to this day. Ooh, that lady, she's a Jezebel. I promise you that's not a compliment. Notice the will of the Lord here, church. The glory of the Lord is the total destruction of what had mastered Israel. This is exactly what God was after. God's plan has always been and will always be to totally destroy those and those things that are trying to master God's people. God is very serious about this. He doesn't want you to play patty cake with it. He wants you to destroy it. There's way too much patty cake going on. The Lord wants you to destroy this enemy. Look at verse 8. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in all of Israel, whether slave or free. Anybody attached to this man, we're killing them all. Well, pastor, that's, that's the Older Testament. Yeah, just leave now. If we have to explain that to you, then this is probably not the right church for you anyway. Jehu was given a no-holds-barred instruction because God's will was dependent on him having this attitude. There's supposed to be no sympathy, no pity, no excuses, no limits, no holds barred. That's what Jehu was supposed to do. Look at verse 9. God says this, I will. How important is it when God says, I will do something? We need to pay attention. God says, I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. You think, does this sound like God is angry with this person? What happens when God gets angry with people around you? Do you have sympathy for them? Or do you trust that the Lord is right in everything he does? The Lord is always right in what he does. And he needs us to step up to the plate. He needs us to come up to his standard that says, you are required to feel what he feels. You are required to do what he tells you to do and not come up with an alternative plan. He's the sovereign of the universe. We spend so much time talking about how much God loves us and he really does. But he's the sovereign of the universe. You don't get to tell him what you're going to do. No more than an obstinate child should be allowed to tell a parent what or when they're going to do something. Look how Jehu responded to this. Then he opened the door and ran. Yeah. 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 Whew. 
When was the last time you opened up a door and just ran because God told you something? When was the last time you went, oh my God, he told me something. I'm going to do it right now. Move out of my way. The Lord has told me something. Or do we come to the steps of our altar? Make deep and serious promises to God, even with beautiful tears that stream down our little precious cheeks. And then you get up and forget what you just said. There are some people in this room tonight who need to open up a door and start running. Start, well, but what about, you need to open up the door and run. Jehu did this. He heard the word of the Lord and said, I've got to go now. I can't do anything else. The Lord spoke clearly. What else are you supposed to do when the Lord speaks clearly? You going to go ask him again? You going to go ask for 47 signs? Are you going to go run to do what he's told you to do? This is a no-holds-bar kind of attitude. This is what makes real men and real women in the kingdom of God, is you move when he tells you to move. Habakkuk 2 says that when you write down the vision, that the people who read it, they can run with it. I kind of think in the back of my mind that Habakkuk may have been thinking about Jehu. Just run because God has said something to you. Make your mistake that you are running after the things of God, not that you're waiting on something, not that you're trying to figure out the limits. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can afford that. I don't know. Stop it. You are showing that you have limited thoughts. You have a limited process. You're like, I think that's off limits. If God told you to do it, open the door and run. This is not, he's not running because it's a happy sermon. He's running towards the destruction of God's enemy. That's a serious kind of attitude. Jehu's response was found in his feet. He heard the Lord open the door. He had zero room to hide. He had no reservation. He came fully into the light and he started to run. With the eagerness of Ahimaaz with the obedience of Philip as he ran to meet the Ethiopian, with the purpose of Elijah running in front of the chariot. He's not running away from anything. He's running towards the battle. He's running towards the merciless elimination of what had been mastering Israel. And what if we had this attitude in this place? We're going to develop this attitude in this place. We're going to have husbands and wives who are running to destroy mercilessly the enemies that are attacking their marriage. To annihilate the things that are harming their children. To absolutely eviscerate the things that are challenging their generations. And you're not going to worry about the cost. You're not going to worry about the time. You're not going to worry about what people think about you. You're not even going to worry about whether you have what it takes to do it or not. Because you're just going to start running and trust that God will be powerful in your midst. We have to exercise our authority to execute sin by running to carry out the no-holds-bar commands of our God. Turn with me to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3, and we're, verse, we're at verse 6. What I'm praying in between these, while we're turning to different passages of Scripture, 
is that the Lord is reminding you of the enemies that he's told you to destroy. He's bringing those things up to your mind that you should be running towards because he's already spoken to you. Esther chapter 3 and verse 6 says this. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people. The Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. You see what happens is God's people did not destroy this enemy and what did he come back to do? He wanted to get them all. This was no longer a mano y mano, a man on man, a one on one battle. What it was was now, you didn't take care of me, I'm going to get all of them. The desire of the enemy here is to take out all of the people of God. Do you see what the unconquered enemies of God's people had in their hearts? Do you see what leaving thorns, barbs, and troubles will do to you? It's not just going to impact you. Your cowardly nature will not end with you. He'll get your family. Your enemies will get your kids. Man, we're not going to be that kind of people. We are learning what it's like to be all in and a no-holds-bar kind of way. You think that having sympathy is always godly? You think that having a slow, methodical, measured approach is always best? You think that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, those are, those are not scriptural, spiritual principles. A no holds bar, all out, swing for the fences, sin crushing, demon stomping, fire consuming, power wielding, sword swinging, overcoming, victorious, never a victim attitude is what you need and you need it now. Anything less than that You're shortchanging what God wants to do in your life. Your enemies are trying to gather their strength. They're trying to gather the group. They're trying to get the band back together so they can come and kill you. Your wife and your children. So when you have a chance to attack, you better do it and do it violently. Do it totally. Do it as those men who are going to violently advance the kingdom of God. Now, I get it, ladies. You may be thinking that this sermon is only for the men in the room. But what would happen if Esther had something other than a zero faith? What happened if Esther had reservations or allowed there to be limits on what she was willing to do, endure, and accomplish for the Lord? A no-holds-bar lifestyle is for men and women alike. It's for the people of LCM. Amen? As we turn to Matthew chapter 5. It may be difficult for some of us in the room to reconcile this no-holds-bar kind of life with some of the uh, congenial visions of the docile, gentle, delicate Lamb of God. That's because you haven't rightly seen what Jesus was really saying and who He really is. In Matthew chapter 5, let's look at verse 29. You need to be there in your own Bible. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, why would (laughs) Jesus is speaking here? He doesn't just say gouge it out. He says gouge it out and then throw it away. Like if you're going to do this, I want you to destroy it. I want you to drive him out. I want you to demolish it. And then you can take possession. 
This is Jesus having that same intensity to go, yeah, it's just not enough to pluck out the eye, but you need to throw it away too. With no hope of ever going back to those sins that you're supposed to get rid of. Huh. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away too. It is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Can you hear it, saints? The precious Lamb of God, God's Son, is telling you to gouge out your eye. Have an eye-gouging moment going on instead of allowing sin to dominate your heart. Jesus Christ is telling you to dismember yourself rather than allow sin to armbar you straight to hell. No hold is barred from taking care of the sin that is mastering you. See, Jesus is saying, see, if you go into competition, you can't eye gouge. What does Jesus say? Do anything that it takes. As a matter of fact, let me tell you, the the hold that you thought was barred, you can't do that. Jesus is saying, yeah, do that. Do whatever it takes. Do anything that it takes so that you might be victorious over sin. See, we have too many people who are playing patty cake with your sins you got to have a no-holds-bar attitude about overcoming. God. Well, well, I don't, I don't know. Then the enemy is going to defeat you in ways that you can't even envision yet. There's actually a bigger shift here in this passage, though. Did you catch it? The real enemy is not another person. It is the other nature inside of your land. It's the other nature inside of you. You've got to drive it out. You've got to demolish it. You've got to destroy it. You need to eye gouge. What an interesting thing to say. You need to eye gouge. You need to have that mentality that says it doesn't matter. I will do what is necessary to please my heavenly father. In honor of Pastor Justin Johnson from King's Harvest Church from last year's One Association Conference. You need to skull drag that sin and curb stomp it. You need to chop block the temptation that keeps getting in your way. You need to spear sin. You need to rough the passer. You need to have a closed fist with the despair that tries to come upon you. As you well know, this whistle never sounds. There is no referee. Chuck Norris is not on the way. Van Damme is too old and Bruce Lee is dead. This is life and death. This is a fight. This is a war. And it's your fight. Your responsibility. This is no holds barred. The Lord may be telling you to pile drive your phone. The Lord may be telling you to pile drive your phone. To eviscerate your internet. To execute your after hours entertainment. Maybe it's just that you need to rear naked choke your unedifying speech. Whatever it takes, this is life or death. What will happen when this church, all of us, every one of us, because we're responding to the Lord. You think this church is good right now. You think the Lord is doing something in our midst now. What if every man and every woman developed a no-holds-bar kind of way that you engage with life? What if you didn't think that the life out there was actually life? 
What if you realized, what if you remembered on a daily basis that this is life, that the Word of God is your life? What happens when we remember that? Yet we don't get dominated by fears at work. We don't get discouraged in an endless cycle of every few days where we can't seem to pick up our head. We don't let despair sit in. We don't let sin conquer us because we understand that this is life and everything else is just surrounding it. This is the expectation of the overcoming, victorious church of the living God. There are no exemptions. There are no exceptions. There are no excuses. I'm telling you, it's time that we exterminate the sin that's going on in our life. We do not placate or allow sin to proliferate in this place. Consider the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Man, this is the ultimate reward for living a no-holds-bar kind of life. Just consider, there are seven churches there, and there are seven to him who overcomes statements. Let me just read them to you. You can find these in Revelation 2 and 3. To him who overcomes, you will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. To him who overcomes, we will not be hurt at all by the second death. To him who overcomes, you will be given the hidden manna. To him who overcomes, you will be given authority over the nations. Come on now. You get discouraged by how difficult things are at times? Lord, we poured out. We're trying to pour out what we have and we got sick in our house. Lord, we're trying to pour out what we have and this difficulty came. I don't know. This doesn't seem fair. Yeah, step away from the pitying attitude that you have and realize that the goal of this is you're going to be given authority over the nations. What light and momentary struggles do you have now that you are far, you're spending far too much time elevating in your own thoughts? Are you still in a pitiable condition in your own mind because of things that have happened to you in the past? In the distant past? Things that should no longer have even a thought in your life and they are dominating you to this day about how unfair your life is. You got to cast that down. You got to destroy that. You got to drive that out. You got to demolish these things because you are not a victim. This is, you are not to be pitied. You are the army. You are the church of the living God. You got to stand up and overcome what's going on in your life. Shame on us for having thoughts that we nurse like a mother might nurse a newborn baby. You nurse, you care for, you nurture thoughts that are actually enemies of the kingdom. We want you to overcome. This is a church of overcomers. To him who overcomes, you'll be dressed in white. You'll never be choked out of the book of life. To him overcomes, you will be made an immovable pillar in the house of God. To him overcomes, you will sit with Jesus on a throne as an undisputed, no holds barred, conqueror of your sin. It's pretty special, isn't it? This is the divine word of God. This, these are his words to us. How important is it that we drive out destroy and demolish the sin in your life. We have total victory as a reward for doing it. Now, the truth is, is God could just tell us, give us zero reward, and He would still be right about it. You are owed nothing, and yet He will give you 
There are seven churches with seven victories. He will give you teetotal, absolute, incredible, crushing victory when you do what he tells you to do. We are going to be a church of overcomers. We are going to be a church with people who have a no-holds-bar kind of attitude. Church, you've been awarded victory already. You have been promised victory. It is assured, more certain than the sun rising tomorrow. Your victory is assured, is assured as long as you continue to walk in a no-holds-bar kind of way. Think about Matthew 16. I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Man, why will the gates of Hades not overcome it? Because we're going to advance, and we're going to kick the gates down. Look, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 30. It says this, I will not speak with you much longer. <laughs> Love it. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay, look up from your Bible for just a second. I want you to be with me on this. Everything that we've been saying tonight, I want you to look at this verse. I will not say much more to you. The prince of the world is coming. The enemy is coming. You know what? He has no hold on me, though. This is Jesus speaking. You know why this guy doesn't have a hold on Jesus? Because Jesus has him in a full Nelson. Jesus is ready to pile drive him because he's already conquered sin. He has no hold. Man, what an incredible thing for Jesus Christ to say. Yeah, you can't even get a hold on this. You can't, you can't even try to put your arms around this because I've already got you beaten. He is mercilessly pounding the enemy into submission. Look at verse 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I don't feel differently than my Father's feeling. I don't do anything. I don't actually have to even inquire of did he really mean what he said? I just do exactly what the Father tells me to do. There's no hold on Jesus. Because Jesus was no holds barred. And he was demonstrating his love and his perfect obedience while he was doing it. If you're truly in love with the Father, as reflected by your total obedience to doing exactly what he has commanded, when you live in a no holds barred manner, even the prince of the world has no hold on you. How much more your little pet sins? How much more the things that you say that you just feel like you can't really overcome? Well, it's just kind of my personality to be depressed. Well, change your personality. That's not about your personality. That's about you allowing sin to stay in your life and you're not conquering it. And he's getting his friend despair. And he's getting his friend anger. And he's getting his other friend bitterness to come in there. And they're going to hammer on you. You gotta, you gotta have a no holds bar kind of attitude. I want you to turn with me to our last passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter four. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter four. Verse 22. 
It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires. You got to put it off. You know, I did an, an intensive study in the Greek this afternoon. The idea of putting it off means you just got to kick it right in the groin. Okay, so maybe that wasn't actually what it said in the Greek. But it's a, it, it was in the Message Bible. I read it, I read it somewhere. You've got to drive out. You've got to destroy. You've got to demolish the old sinful desires that you have. See, this is a church who understands that this is the call, and yet God is demanding it of us in a new way. He's saying, see, the things that you thought you defeated, you just battled with. You didn't totally drive them out. You didn't totally destroy them. You didn't demolish them. You just engaged in a battle. It's time to start demolishing some things. It is time to start destroying them. You're going to fight until one of you doesn't come out of it. You're going to be in a battle that is that life and death are actually on the line. Because it is. Because it is in your life. You gotta eye gouge it out. You gotta headbutt it away. You gotta, thank you, Pastor Justin. You gotta skull drag it and curb stomp it. Look at verse 23. What, do, why do you have to do that? To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Come on, anybody in this place need a new attitude in your mind? We know we should walk in the mind of Christ, but how many times during the day do you fall out of the mind of Christ? How many times a day do you need to be made new in the attitude of your mind? Because the further out of the mind of Christ you get, the more out of your mind you are. You have to have a no-holds-barred attitude, which is the victorious, no-holds-barred mind of Christ. This is the attitude the new attitude in your mind that you receive when you engage with it this way. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The passage goes on to say that the devil must not have a hold on you because you already have a hold on him. Come on, what's keeping you from having a no-holds-bar life tonight? This is the word of the Lord for us tonight. Amen. What do you need to drive out, demolish, or destroy tonight that you've let linger far too long? You've actually started putting out the little food on the side of the house because you're expecting it to come back. You're actually making provision for the thing that you should be destroying. You have place in your heart where you know it's going to come back again. So you just have already made a place. You've already made an excuse. You've already left the door open so that the enemy can just get back in easier. And at least you don't have to fix the door this time. No holds barred. Is it your phone? Is it the internet? Is it unedifying speech? Is it fear masking itself as some noble perspective or attitude? Is it self-pity of things that have long since been put under the blood and long since should have been conquered in your life? Is it complacency? Is it offense? I don't know what it is in your life, 
The truth is, is maybe it's having a business mentality or a competition mindset that keeps you from seeing the life and death struggle that you're actually in. Maybe it's you just settle in every day and you forget that you're in a life and death battle for the nations and for the generations. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your moment to bring out the most extreme, the most banned, illegal, taboo, spiritually savage stranglehold that you can imagine to decimate that sin in your life. Those things that have been conquering you for far too long, they can die tonight right here in this place. Tonight is a reset. Tonight is a rewrite of your rules of engagement. Those things that you've been afraid to do, those things that you just don't think Christians actually do. Yeah, we do a whole lot when it comes to eviscerating sin. Anything that's necessary, that's what we're going to do. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is here tonight to help you to live a no-holds-barred attitude. I'm going to, I want you to stay seated for just a second, but when I stand up, I'm going to begin to pray. Hang on right there, Caleb. I'm going to begin to pray and I want some Jehus in this place. I want some men and women who are willing to look like a fool because they're going to run and find their place at this altar and stop the ridiculous living that we've been doing. I mean, we have some beautiful moments. But let's be honest, it's not an everyday thing in in many of our lives yet. It's not an everyday where you're coming at this thing with all you got. You do pretty good for a while, then you take off. You relax for a couple of weeks. This is a time for us to rewrite these things. This is a time for the resurrection of the power of God to infill this entire room. When I ask you to stand and I begin to pray, we need some Jehus down at this altar. Because this is your day. This is the time. There is no other season. There is no other day. It's now or it's nothing. It's life or it's death. you got to do this now. Stand to your feet. Mighty God, help us today. Mighty God, we need you to come and help us to live a no-holds-bar kind of lifestyle. Where nothing may come between us and you, mighty God wreck us today. Change us today. Move us today, Lord. Mighty God, we need you. We need you. We want to run towards what you tell us. We want to run and demolish and destroy and drive out the enemy in this place, in every life, in young and old. Move upon us today, Lord, in Jesus' name.